Hi again, everybody. This is Tom Oglesby on the Chatter. Colleen Pasnick and Janet Wagner. And let's begin in prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Remember, O oh, most gracious Virgin Mary, that, that never was it known, that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession, was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, what's on the headlines? Well, you know, I'm kind of take it upon myself to make sure I have headlines. So that means I have to do my homework. It is your job. But I got to tell you, this was pretty easy because pretty much all of my headlines um, are circled around Pope Francis's plane ride back from the Middle East because that's where he was, right? Leaving back into on a Italy. jet plane. Yeah. I'm leaving on a jet plane. Oh, Janet. Yeah. So anyway, a couple of things when it started out, when I listened to it myself, and this is kind of credit to the pillar and also complicit cr- clergy that I got my information from, but... Um, He started out with what he said about abortion I thought was very, very strong, um, that abortion is more than a problem. It's a homicide. There's no middle terms. Whomever does an abortion kills. And then he, you know, went on with some different things. That was perhaps the most clarity I've seen on this issue in generations. Very clear. Wasn't that awesome to hear? Kudos. Very clear. I praise God for, as from a pope's perspective, I don't remember a pope in my lifetime that has been that strong and that definitive in de- de- defining what abortion is from from a conversation like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. And then I was just really getting excited uh, for Pope Francis, only to be humbled by his next few comments um, in, in the interview. And there were some excellent questions posed by some of the reporters. And um, after the abortion comment, and the interview on that particular question was answered. A reporter spoke up and saying, well, what about the political ramifications of those parties that support abortion and they vote accordingly, you know, blah, 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 blah. It was an excellently worded uh, question. And the Pope just basically said the problem is pastoral. And in my opinion, he totally dropped the ball and eroded everything that he just said about the strong comments that he had saying that it's basically homicide. So what do you think he meant by that, that it's pastoral? Um, well, I took it to be that, yes, we know that it's pastoral, but to me that that's almost something you handle in the parish level, but even more intimately in the confessional. Where as a pastor, you're taking on the smell of the sheep. You're going to that person who's in dire need and to educate them and to share with them what it is, the the depth of the sin behind this and the hurt to Christ and how this is one of those sins that ca- cries out to heaven and how you would work with that person to clean their soul and to heal and to be sorry, to experience sorrow for sin. So that's, that's one element of pastoral that I see. But also the other side would be education, not only to pastor and take care of the individual that may have gone through that, but also the the parish as a whole, to educate, to, you know, talk about Scripture and killing. I mean, it's one of the Ten Commandments. So that's one element. And then uh, I think the other part of it was, is he was just 
not wanting to deal with what we have going on in our own United States with the, what the attitudes are of the bishops. It's the hot potato uh, in any continent <coughs> you're at. But I think there's something more here with, with uh, pastoral here. I think, yeah, it, it should be handled locally between your parish priest and, and, uh, and, and the laity, the person, the politician. Isn't that what we're talking about, politicians? Isn't that the that was elephant the, in the living room here? It is, because that was where the reporter was coming from. Right, that was the, that was the essence of the question here. The, uh, but then you say handle it in the confessional, that begs the question, are they going to go to the confessional to do that? I, isn't this much deeper, though? I mean, because the, uh, the Cuomo, the first Cuomo, was that Mario, mm -hmm. the governor of, who, by the way, stole the line from the uh, Notre Dame professor uh, who, uh, who, or, or priest. Um, Hesburgh? Was it Hesburgh or the other uh, theologian that was out there? Uh, O'Brien, McBrien? Anyway, McBrien. they were the ones who crafted the the defense, if we can call it a defense. Personally, I'm opposed to it, but I don't want to impose my beliefs on someone else here. But anything, anything you're doing legislatively or the executive is imposing your belief on, on someone else here. So they've used that, and it's been resurrected here now. Uh, that, that Cuomo Mario was, uh, what era was that? The that 80s or early 90s? 80, 84, yeah. Yeah, that he said that, yeah. So this is nigh on 30 years, maybe 40 years, that they've been doing that, and it's got renewed, uh, it's got new life. You know, and I don't know that I've ever really heard the pastoral defined by what they mean by that, because when I hear that word, I think, oh, you just kind of chum around you be friends with them you might dialogue about it nothing harsh nothing harsh and that's or worked doctrinal. well for 40 or 50 years mm -hmm. right and so when i hear that i go oh i don't really know what that means does that mean just accompanying or does it mean educating from the pulpit does it mean in the confessional um, because to me it has taken on this um, meaning of you don't really do anything. You just say, I'm going to be pastoral. And then that like ex excuses all sorts of behavior and teaching. Well, as oh. we've come to find out, that's a one-way ticket to cancellation. If right. you if you speak of it in the terms of truth. But with Francis, you know, and a lot of the things that he said publicly, you really have to have an explanation of what he's talking about because sometimes it sounds like he's talking out of both sides of his mouth. Mm -hmm. So in one case, in one of his speeches, and I think it was an interview on a plane, he was like, you know, who am I to judge? Right, right. And then at another time, he's talking about, well, you priest, you need to, you need to have the smell of the sheep on you. Mm -hmm. And so to me, you're looking at very strong analogies to what pastorship is, but there's still no definition. No he, def still, he never even said anything about what it, that it, definition it, would be on this plane ride. But it seems like it's in opposition to doctrine. It seems like you're either doctrinal and you explain what we believe or your pastoral almost like they're mutually exclusive well th this is what's come to be called a weaponized ambiguity right that's that's the buzzword here and that's it's purposely ambiguous uh, to the point where it can be interpreted anywhere there there was a teaching moment and um Let's just say the pontiff drove the length of the football field, got into the red zone, and fumbled. Mm -hmm. Didn't take it home. 
This was a chance to tell people, you know, it's one thing to say you need to be pastoral. What you didn't do is say, this is how you are pastoral. Right, correct, correct. And to be so clear in the beginning that it's killing. Right. So well, not only it's... that, he called them hitmen. Did he call him hitmen? He called it hitman. I mean, he was wow. as, as though he was talking to the Italian mob. Wow. So that's pretty strong, pretty clear, pretty basic, right? He marched down the field. He marched down the field. So then the follow-up question about politicians, um, like you say, Tom, I think that he fumbled because if it, if he truly believes it's killing, then you should be opposed to that when it comes to political parties. And And here's the thing. I don't think we just need to pick on the politicians, even if that was the question. What about politicians who are in favor of abortion? I think it needs to be broader than that. Who is working at Planned Parenthood, mm-hmm. right? Who is a doctor that's providing abortions? Who's working at a pharmacy? Who's working at a I mean, right, it's not just politicians. No. I think it's a much broader brush of people that could be involved with abortion. And, you know, part of this being a pastor, I agree with you, Colleen. It's almost like there's a, a tolerance. And we've we've become so much a society that tolerates everything to the point of where it's, nothing's an issue, that mm-hmm. there's, no, there's no problem. Mm-hmm. And that's a heresy. Well, it's better not to offend God than it is to offend men. Okay, now say that in the positive. <laughs> I'm thinking, is that a double negative? I'm, I'm trying like, to think of my English classes. I'm diagramming that sentence. Where are you coming from, Tom? <laughs> yeah. well, I'm Help just, the slow I, ones in the audience like me. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's we're, we're, uh, we're more afraid of peer pressure than we are of uh, offending God here. Yeah, that's true. Human respect. Yeah, yeah definitely. And, you know, that was one element um, because if we if they lose their self esteem, they won't listen. Is that what it is? That's that's where it is, isn't it? Yeah, that's a it's a confidence thing. And I think that's human nature, right? That's always been the way it's been. Which is why we need a strong leader at the top, whether it's the top of the church or the top of each diocese or the top of each parish or mm. family or family. Being clear, we need strong strong leaders, and and we have to be grounded in the truth, and we we just have to be so. On that element, I was very happy that he said the words that he did about abortion, but I was very disappointed in what he said um, about the pol- the political part of it because I just felt like he was, you know, trying to do a handoff. And well, I agree ball. with him. I think this is a local issue, and it should be handled at a, at a parish or whatever pastoral level he's referring to. But he did not take the opportunity to say what should the outcomes be of that pastoral encounter. Well, is he going to be pastoral with his heads of state? Somebody like Joe Biden, will he call him in and be pastoral and give, you know, basically have this conversation with him? Well, I think it's he's he's saying that's not his position. He's not the he's not the bishop. He's not the the uh, pastor, Monsignor at our lady of whatever uh, church it is in Washington DC. Well, let me ask you this. How long should someone be pastoral? Before what? Well, let's say, let's say I'm the pastor. Okay, not I'm the pastor, but let's say the pastor of a parish knows that one of his parishioners is um, maybe doing abortions. So the pastoral thing to do would be to talk with that person, right? 
yes. outside of church, not point them out. The pastoral thing to do would be to talk to them. One-on-one first, like one scripture. One-on-one, like scripture says, point out the truth, give them a chance to repent. But then don't you say something like, you know, you need to think about this and decide whose camp you're going to be in. Are you going to be in the city of God? Are you going to be in the city of man? Your choice, but you need to be aware of what the church teaches and the killing, etc. So what do you meet with them again in 15 years and say, so did you think about that? Or do you say, you've got six months or you've got three? I mean, how long does someone be pastoral and say, we're going to kick the can down the road and we'll check in with you in another couple of years and see how you're thinking about it? Well, I think you walk with them from start to finish and it's just a continuation. But Is I there think- any time frame on it? Is there anything like... You know what? In another month, let's meet again. I want to see what you've come to the... You know, you're operating on an assumption here. Okay. That those who are called to be pastoral believe in the doctrine that we're discussing. Ooh. Ooh. Yes? I, well, yeah, yes. but there's more behind what you're saying there. You're, I mean, you're insinuating that... No, it, I'm not insinuating. No, no, no. I'm stating clearly you're stating that clearly we are about making, the we're, we're making an assumption that those who are called to be pastoral believe the doctrine. I know, but the way you said it, I thought you left room to be that there's some that don't believe in the doctrine. I'm stating <laughs> you, you can't have these kinds of outcomes for... Years, now decades, on generations, and have that 100% of the people who are called to be pastoral by Pope Francis believe the doctrine. You can't have those outcomes. It was was, uh, verified, if not vilified, with Paul VI's Humani Vitae, which was rudely uh, received and poorly implemented precisely because they didn't believe the doctrine. Yay? Yay. Okay. Agree. Yeah, Agree. no, I totally agree with that. Boy, there's dead silence. You should... If this everybody, were video... we just agreed with Tom, everybody. We just agreed with Tom. <laughs> Mate, let's see, what is today's date? Yeah. That's but, a good point, Tom. But I had to listen, and there's silence in me listening because I really had to listen to hear you all the way through it because there's so many tangents into what you're saying with what we're experiencing now in our world where I don't believe a lot of our people who are supposed to be pastors are. They should have been. They think they are, but they're so ingrained in a modernistic theology that they go down that path instead of the one that's doctor or doctrine of the Catholic Church of the true magisterium. And um, so I did. I had to listen to where you were going, but I, yeah, you're totally 100% true. But I mean, you go into so many different churches these days, and you go into the confessional, and you can have any of the the big sins. And I'm saying the big sins, whether it's abortion or same sex relationships, whatever it might be, you don't know what the priest is going to tell you. And mm-hmm. so many of them aren't giving coming from a doctrinal point of view, mm-hmm. and it's just you know one of those things. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, in my mind anyway, it would be pastoral to meet with that person, talk with that person, make sure they understand what the church teaching is, mm-hmm. doctrinally, right? And then you got to put a time limit on it. You can't just say, so, all right, we've had our discussion, see you later, or I'll never follow up with you. Um, otherwise, how do people like Joe Biden do this for decades, literally 
decades. I, I'm totally in favor of you meet with them, you talk with them, you hear their point, you, they, you tell them church teaching, the right thing. But at some point you got to say, at this point, if you don't change what you're doing because you're in danger, your soul's in danger, if it's, then you cannot receive communion. Um, the next time that you should be here is when you come for confession. Yeah, and there's, I don't know if the timeline is the the <clears throat> right phraseology, only because um, our lifetime is a journey, our lifetime is a is a time frame. But if it's if it's a political and public office, that time frame needs to be concise and direct and objective, um, because of the same reasons you just said. This person is in a influential influential position, and if we don't speak up. It's causing scandal to the rest of the church. It is. And I, I would not even have a problem with the pastor saying, I, I will talk with you now. I will talk with you in one month. And I need to find out where you stand on this. And you have to make a choice. You have to make a choice. If you choose to go with your party of death and the stance on abortion, I will publicly rebuke you and tell all my priests that they may not give you communion. And that goes back to scripture where you start out when there, when there's a problem with sin or whatever it might be first you go to your brother and then if he doesn't listen then you go to the next step and it, what is it the family or the community mm -hmm. and Take then you, and then you. you go to the church mm -hmm. yeah and to me that's that timeline mm -hmm. now how long that is i don't know i think the circumstance depends on that but if you're in a if you're in a public figure that window is short sure because if you're in there for a six-year stint you can't say I'll, I'll meet with you in 10 years mm -hmm. right i mean you gotta tighten it up a little bit mm -hmm. they have to choose one way or the other and you can't wait until after the next election cycles over right exactly you can't kick the can for another year two or three right so i just never hear that part of it talked about but i think we've got to remember here that abortion is the symptom not the problem here what's really at risk here are souls not just the souls of children who are uh, being murdered as i quote pope, uh, pope francis but that we are uh, dealing with the souls of policymakers, public officials, that's legislatures right. here. Their souls yeah. are uh, at risk. And that's the, uh, the charity we'll end segment one with. Janet Wagner and Colleen Pasnick. I'm Tom Oglesby on The Chatter, and we'll be back after this. Hi again, everybody. We're back here in the FM 98.3 KCRD studios. This is the Chatter, and the Chatterbox is here. Colleen Pasnick. Janet Wagner. And uh, we, we got through one headline. <laughs> we did. So segwaying, we were talking about abortion and Pope Francis's comments. But one of the things that I found interesting in the headlines is that on September 7th, Mexico, the country of Mexico, experienced a 7.0 um, Richter scale earthquake uh, near the city of Acapulco, but they could feel it in Mexico City. Wow! Now that's that's a big earthquake. Mm -hmm. But what? But you know, there's earthquakes all over, so it's like take it or leave it. You know, goes in one ear, out the other. But what really, really struck me was, well, guess what happened on September eighth? The next day after the earthquake. Excuse me, I'm saying this wrong. I totally messed you got this your up. Dates I got my dates transposed. Abortion became legal in Mexico on September seventh. The earthquake hit on September 8th. Mm-hmm. So is that just a scientific coincidence? 
There are no coincidences. There are no coincidences. Do you all remember when Benedict resigned? Yes. (laughs) Do you know what happened that night? Oh. Lightning struck the Vatican. The thunderstorm that wasn't. There was not a thunderstorm in Rome. There was one little cell over the Vatican. And there's pictures of lightning striking the Vatican twice. Now, I don't think that's a good thing, right? Or is it me? I mean, earthquakes, that seems like a bad thing. Lightning striking seems like a bad thing. These are just natural occurrences in our weather patterns, aren't they? That's what I'm asking. Mm. Are we reading too much into it? I don't know. I think, I honestly, I think it's kind of fun because um, you have to ask yourself and say, now, was that just a natural disaster, you know, or was that, is God trying to speak to us? Because so often in scripture, throughout the Bible, but you know, what I'm paying attention to a lot lately is revelation, you know, and you're trying to pay attention and you don't want to be cynical. And it's just like, okay. And I, and amazingly only one person's life was lost. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. That is amazing. Well, the life that's going to be lost is the amount of babies that are going to be murdered. That will be, yes, much more. And this is our lady of Guadalupe. So it makes me wonder what is going through her heart. Well, the nation's tr- uh, totally turned around when you talk about Guadalupe. She she uh, stopped the Mayan human sacrifice, and in the less than a decade following her uh, apparition with uh, Blessed, is he Saint? He's Saint Juan Diego. Is he? No, he's Saint. Saint Juan Diego. Something like nine or ten million souls. Converted, yeah. On the heels Converted, of the uh, baptized, the yeah. Protestant revolt in uh, Wittenberg. Right, yeah, some author kind of connects those two. Like in, mm-hmm. in uh, Europe, you've got millions leaving the faith because of Luther or Calvin. And in the Americas, you've got millions coming in mm-hmm. through Our Lady Blood. Which is somewhat there. scriptural here. If they, uh, if they didn't listen to your message in germany shake the dust from your feet and go on down the road to mexico Mm. yeah i think it's interesting you know and i've been paying attention to our wildfires you know some of the places that have been experiencing wildfires this past season had some of the hottest temperatures on record um some places that were burning um consume more wooded area than they've Mm -hmm. ever experienced before must be just a coincidence right i'm being cynical and sarcastic you mean the the temperature of the fire or the temperature like the air temperature air temperature Mm -hmm. they've been experiencing these different things and um you know a couple of other events because i always like to pay attention to that like i said it's fun the devastation is not fun but i find the the uh, tie-in to scripture or the potential thereof um to be interesting and a headline was set to me, too, that the Dead Sea, or a portion of the Dead Sea, a little lake off the side of, I think... Is um, really dead. Is really dead, and it turned red. Mm-hmm. And um, is it Yom Kippur? Or Yom Kippur. Kippur. Yom Kippur, what's going Yom on? Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Day of Atonement. And the Dead Sea, or part of it, wherever it was, turned red. Does that not make you think? Um, I mean, I just, and it's unexplainable, but right now scientists are trying to figure out what it is and they think it might be some sort of algae that's causing it. But I think it might be algae, but they were saying these other pools of the Dead Sea don't have that algae. Right. Or not. Um, the other thing I heard was it might be something like iron oxide yes. happening with what, but all the other pools right around there that are exposed to the same metals or minerals in the um, earth and the same amount of sunlight, et cetera, are not turning red. 
So. And it's interesting. I've actually floated in the Dead Sea. Um, you can't sink because there's so many chemicals that you float. Is it salt? Is that what's in there? Then? Salt predominantly. Um, but I'm not a chemist, so there's a lot of other things that are part of salt or whatever. So you understand why. <laughs> the lowest point on Earth is the Dead Sea. The Sea of Galilee is north of the Dead Sea, and it feeds the Jordan River. Correct. And the Jordan River drains, flows into the Dead Sea. Right. The lowest spot on Earth. So there's the Dead Sea is dead because it doesn't give up anything that it has. It retains everything by way of evaporation for millennia. And a lot of people has all of these uh, sediments and salts and which are harvested and sold. Sure. For skin, but I know when we were there, they said don't stay in there longer than X amount of time. I want to say it was like ten or twenty minutes. Yeah. Because it can have an adverse effect. Or find Lot's wife. (laughs) Could be. Could be. I did hear that in one of the reports that the area where this water turned red was also where Sodom and Gomorrah was. Yes. Interesting. That's what they think is in that that same area. Yeah, I find that incredibly interesting, especially different things that I've read in the past or documentaries where, you know, they cannot pinpoint the exact spot, but what they're able to do. Because it's still smoking. (laughs) But what they can do with carbon dating or, you know, like all the things that they do on archaeological digs is assess the area. And they, they found a lot of evidence that points to that spot being what it is. Spot of God, Sodom and Gomorrah, mostly because of the fire, and what fire does at such ex, such extreme temperatures to the land and whatever around there. Mm-hmm. And I just found that to be fire and brimstone. Very interesting. And for fifty points, what is brimstone? Um, stone used around brims. <laughs> I thought it was Father So and So's homily. <laughs> help me, Janet. <laughs> what is brimstone? Sulfur. Is it? I tell her what it is, and she gives me that look. <laughs> i got to Google that. Yeah, I know. Because Google's smart. Yeah, really smart. So then when you look at, you know, you're just giving me another segue into the next catastrophic thing is the volcano <laughs> that's been erupting at um, the Canary Islands on La Palma. And um, this is just another volcano in the world. I think I, I looked up today, actually, there's 26 active volcanoes throughout the world, and that's not necessarily unusual. Um, what's unusual about this one is somebody was saying um, if if this volcano erupts and part of that mountain falls into the ocean, which will cause a tsunami tidal wave, mm-hmm. it'll put Florida underwater in eight hours. Wow. So geographically, the Canary Islands are? Off of Spain and Africa. Correct. Yeah. Due yeah. west of the European and African coast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kind of like if you looked at Spain, looked at Africa, and where those two kind of converge, you know, with your eye, they'd be right in there. Mm-hmm. And be- and it's been, you know, one of the uh, geological phenomena here that if the face of the mountain falls, it heads west in a tsunami. I don't think it's limited, though, just to the uh, Florida coast. No, it would go up the coast. It could go up the eastern yeah. seaboard. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, 
you, I find myself saying, well, that, you know, is that going to happen? You know, what's, what are the odds? Are they, news channels would pick up on this, right? If it was really serious, because none of them really have. Um, but I did see today that there was some coverage. So I, I find it interesting. Mm-hmm. So what is, you know, a lot of people, when I talk about natural disasters, I think it's incredibly interesting, especially when you start looking at scripture and especially with the times that we're living in and how is God trying to get a hold of us and, and have us notice things and pay attention and do penance like the Blessed Mother asked the kids in Fatima and so on and so forth. Um, but I find so often that most people make fun of me. <laughs> do you guys find that? Do they discredit you, say you're crazy? It's just a natural disaster. That, yeah. That's not God. Yeah, you know, and I don't really follow the natural disasters, so I can't really speak to that. But it is interesting because a lot of people will say, that's not God, that's just nature. As though God is not the God of nature. Yeah. I know. Except read your insurance policy and it says <laughs> it covers everything but an act of God. Isn't everything an act of God? Think about that. Here's what I don't get, guys. And you can talk about tsunamis, earthquakes, fires, forest fires, viri, because that's the plural of virus, viri, and and we have an an endless number of viri. At least 19. At least all the Greek (laughs) alphabet. Where, Where is the spiritual leaders who would stand up and dedicate or consecrate the virus to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. I just, you know, where awesome. is the volcano and the side of the mountain on the Canary Islands, where the bishop of that would would uh, stand up and consecrate that volcano to the Immaculate Heart of Mary? Great, great insight. Yeah, I I agree. Where is it? And here, here we got we got a listener, a writer comes in here and says, you know, don't. You know, what would happen if all the bishops consecrated the abortion mills and the doctors and the politicians to the Immaculate Heart of Mary? Couldn't we get rid of this? It'd be nice if they did it as often as dollars that they received from PPE. I firmly believe we could get rid of it. Do you all remember that horrible abortion place in Rockford, mm. women's clinic, whatever? This the- is classic stupid name it was anyway so the clinic in rockford horrible horrible clinic mocked christ one good friday they nailed a rubber chicken to a cross and put it in the windows this place was demonic anyway it was an abortion mill and uh so one day four priests of rockford got permission to stand on the four corners surrounding it and pray the exorcism prayers and that place was shut down within a week yeah that's powerful and is never reopened that mm-hmm. is so powerful. Right. Isn't that powerful? So you're right, Tom. What if, what if every bishop would go to whatever abortion clinic was in his diocese? Because he is the spiritual head of mm-hmm. his diocese, even over the non-Catholics. He is the spiritual authority. And what if he prayed exorcism prayers? The bishop? The priest or yeah, the bishop? the bishop. Yeah. Well, I mean, he could assign priests, but what if the bishop, you know, Bishop uh, Cardinal DiNardo is right, very close to the largest Planned Parenthood facility in the country in Mm -hmm. Houston. What if he went there and put his uh, priests around that block 
and said, right now, we're saying the prayers right now. And we're doing it every week until this place closes. Wouldn't that be something? It would be so awesome. And I, I mean, we can't be the only people that ever had these ideas. I mean, because obviously right. it happened in Rockford, but I look at that and I'm, I'm, to me, that's the spiritual leadership that we're missing. Mm-hmm. And the spiritual power that they have right. that is going unused. Unused and, and, you know, whether they believe it or not, they still have the power because of their ordination. Mm-hmm. They do. Yeah. You know, these are Mary's sons and, you know, it's kind of like she's their spiritual mother. These are her sons, all those who have been ordained or her she is their mother um wouldn't it be kind of a nice gift back to her to do some of these things mm-hmm. yep. and wouldn't she reward that mm-hmm. i mean I, I just can't imagine and how about calling out the rest of us to say please help me do penance give alms fast this yeah. is what we're doing today and this is why yeah you know you're right if they did that the block would be lined with catholics praying the rosary uh, throwing in our two cents as lay people. Mm-hmm. Imagine the screech of the demons, it'd be deafening. It would be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I look at that and, you know, we, we've had our opportunities around here over the years. Mm-hmm. And um, thanks be to God, our our clinic is gone. It's gone. Thanks to the lay people who were there every hour praying for its closure. And not only that, but we were there before they opened. Because we got word that they were going to open. We were there before they opened their doors the first hour of business. Mm. We were there. So, yeah, the power of prayer, lady. If we believe in the power of prayer, like you mentioned earlier, Tom, Well, the we question believe? is, it begs the question, do, do we believe in the power of prayer, including those purported to lead us in prayer? Uh, Paul says straight away this battle is, is uh, not of flesh, but it's... Uh, Dominions, virtues, powers, principalities. These are just uh, a few of the nine choirs of angels, uh, a third of which fell from heaven. By the way, where did they fall? Earth to hell. <laughs> they fell right here to earth. Here. Everybody, no, they didn't go to hell. They fell here to earth. The, and Christ says that, the prince of this world. There he is. And he came to build his kingdom. Christ came to build his kingdom here on earth, where the demons are, in defiance of the prince of this world. So, yeah, the battle's here now. Right other, here otherwise, otherwise known why we're called church militant. We are called church militant. We're not church wimpy. You know, as you were talking about that, one of the things that came to my mind is so often we have opportunities as lay people to go and participate either in processions or to capital buildings mm-hmm. and pray or to abortion clinics to pray or, or to um, help a person who might be on the fence about doing this. And very few people actually go to these things. I mean, it's the numbers are growing, thanks be to God. But so many people say, oh, if all we're going to do is pray, I can just do that from home. But tell me a little bit about the grace that's involved in someone who actually goes the extra step and leaves home and participates in these types of events. How have people been blessed? And, and I think that's important to talk about because you have to go outside of yourself. Anybody can pray at home. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't. This is a good thing. But tell me how more people are blessed when they rise up and they actually go and participate in a procession or participate in a rosary in a Another well, we all, we all got different gifts. Some of us are uh, 
more uh, alpha, more militant. Some are going to get out there on the on the front line. Others less so. They may not have the time or the physical capabilities, or they've got jobs or whatever. So everybody can can uh, give whatever their gift is. And uh, but certainly, the uh, frontline warriors who are who are uh, doing sidewalk counseling or whatever that is called is uh, is well needed. And I would add just to that that you know if you want to pray at home, that's great. Maybe you can't get out. Maybe you don't have a car. Whatever. But I think there's something about making a sacrifice, saying you know what, that's a hassle. It's a hassle to walk up and down in front of Planned Parenthood when it's zero degrees outside. I'm going to add that sacrifice to my prayer uh, and make it more powerful. Um, so that's one reason I would say why you actually should go uh, in person and pray at places like that. The other thing is it is a very visible witness to uh, to our faith. It's a witness to people driving by. It's a witness to people inside. It's a very visible witness. They don't know who's praying at home if anybody's praying at home. And then the third thing I would say is the opportunity that you have then to engage in talking to someone who maybe is driving in and not sure. There are many stories of people who drove by and kept driving by because there were people outside praying and they did not want to cross in um, in the Planned Parenthood parking lot. So I would say those three reasons are reasons that that um, you should go that extra mile and not, I don't want to say just pray at home, but go out of your comfort zone a little bit make that sacrifice of your time and your energy and actually go there. Colleen Pasnick, this is The Chatter. Janet Wagner. I'm Tom Oglesby. We'll be back in the KCRD studios right after this. We are back. This is FM 98.3 KCRD. The Chatterbox girls are here. That's going to... You know, we can see that here. I've seen these American Girl shirts. Can we get Chatterbox, Chatterbox Girls? I think we should. The Chatterbox Girls. I think we could. <laughs> I'm seeing a funny logo in my mind. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, you, you what, we on one what do we got? What do we got here? And I'll stand on the other. Well, we've got um, October 1st coming up, which means we're going to be getting into a new month. And the best month of the year, isn't it? Do you think so? It's one of my favorites. Well, autumn here. Cooler weathers, usually not quite so humid. Lattes, pumpkin flavored, pumpkin Every, bars, pumpkin, everything, everything pumpkin. Pumpkin. I'm, I'm everything. Uh, I'd like to stomp out pumpkin bars. I think pumpkins were made for pie. Pie. And and anything with surprise, pumpkin surprise. I I'm not into that. You're not into a pumpkin surprise. Or bars or. Oh, I like the pumpkin bars and I like the pumpkin pie. Well, the yeah. bars are kind of like the pie, just cut in a square. No, no. You can't, you know, give me give me the ice cream, the pumpkin pie, maybe some whipped cream. Whip out of the can, whatever here. Yeah. <laughs> well, this should be airing on the weekend of October 2nd and 3rd. Which is first Friday and Saturday. Yeah, so first Friday is the first and the second is first Saturday. And, you know, as a young Catholic growing up, we never had the opportunity to participate in this. But I know that from my grandmother... She always had a prayer card with the three seers on it, you know, um, Lucy, Jacinto, and Francisco Mm -hmm. from Fatima. And I just always was intrigued with that prayer card. And so I know my grandmother, and she prayed the rosary every day. Um, 
but that was my grandmother. We didn't necessarily live in the same town. So I always didn't know what they did with all these litanies with after the rosary. I mean, it just seemed like the prayer went on forever. And as a little kid, that was long. But as I got older and matured into being a Catholic and learned more about Fatima and kind of made it my own, um, I really grew into realizing how important First Saturday devotion and First Saturday devotion is. And um, We better explain it because I'm guessing a lot of people are fogged on this. I bet you're right. So First Fridays. So First Fridays are typically dedicated to um, making reparation to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Um, reparations for blasphemy, reparations for any outrages. Um, Idolatry, against, blasphemy, and profanations. All against the Sacred Heart. And who was the saint? Was it St. Mary Alicoque? St. Margaret Mary Alicoque. Yeah, okay. Yep, the Jesus and the Sacred Heart devotion started through her. Mm-hmm. Um, that's right, in and, France. And is this something the church takes seriously, or is this one of those devotions that, you know, just kind of flared up and some people do it and some people don't? It depends, I think, on when you ask that question. If you asked that question 100 years ago, I think people would say we take it very seriously. If you ask that question now, people would go, what are you talking about? First Friday? What are you talking about? Is that the fish thing at Jack's Fish Palace on First Friday? <laughs> well, it is. Well, there is that. But it Historically, it has been a very strong devotion for many, many people, uh, the devotion to the Sacred Heart and reparation. And so people would go to confession, and they would receive communion, they would pray for the intentions of the Holy Father um, and receive communion that day with uh, the intention of making reparation. And if you would do those things, it would really console the heart of Jesus. And so mm-hmm. a lot of families did that. And it's an act of love. By doing that, it's an act of love um, to show our, our precious Lord. Right, right. And the call is to do it for, I believe, nine consecutive months. Yay. I believe the first Friday is nine. Correct. And the first Saturday is five. 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 Right. Yeah. So the first Saturday devotion came out of Our Lady of Fatima, which... Uh, to go back to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, uh, St. Margaret Mary Alacoque was 17th century, so the 1600s was when that happened. But then um, in the early 20th century, 1917, Our Lady of Fatima asked for the first Saturday devotion, um, which happens on the first Saturday of the month, and it's very similar. It's confession within, used to be... Eight to ten days is usually what it is now. Yeah, it's... Um, used to be you're supposed to go on the same day right mm-hmm. and then they gave you eight days plus or minus mm-hmm. the first saturday now i've heard it's even like within a month well heck you're you're up to the next first saturday if you do a month right um but anyway so confession um receive communion with the intention of making reparation for um any um outrages against our lady's um heart immaculate heart including um, blasphemies and outrages against her perpetual virginity, her mm-hmm. immaculate conception, um, things like that. That kind of really hits everybody that's Protestant that takes issue with Mary, doesn't it? It does, yeah. So as Catholics, we should really take this seriously. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if anybody here locally goes to Nativity. They pray the devotions to, well, they pray the rosary before Mass. Then we have Mass. And then after Mass, we do the first Saturday devotions, which includes a litany to Our Lady and mm-hmm. a couple songs. Um, But that satisfies, for the most part, uh, the requirements for First Saturday. Now, another requirement is to spend 15 minutes 
uh, reflecting or meditating upon the rosary or, or you can mystery. pick a mystery of the rosary. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Our Lady says that people that do the first Saturdays, that she will be with them at the hour of their death. Yeah, and That's pretty want incredible. That? Wouldn't you want that? I would love to have at the hour of my death um, Mary holding my hand because, you know, there's such an unknown and, you know, human nature is, is it's natural to be scared of death because we obviously haven't experienced it ourselves unless you've walked a journey with a loved one who's taken that path and has passed away. But still, that was them. It's not us. So it would be beautiful. Um, and I would need her. Um, I would want her to hold my hand and to mm -hmm. assure me. And the other thing that I think is so important with that is people don't realize that at the hour of our death, um, Satan is vying for your soul. He's the accuser. He's telling, yelling out all your sins, telling you what a terrible person you've been. He's taking you down that path. And the only person who can squelch him is Mary. And as a mother, she asks so little from us. I mean, for the privilege of having her with us when we pass from this life to the next. 15 minutes, five times in our life. I mean, it's such a small thing to ask us to do. She doesn't ask us to climb a big mountain. She doesn't ask us to cross the world. Such a small, doable thing that all of us can do. So if y'all haven't done the first uh, Saturday devotion yet, I would strongly encourage that you start this month, October, the month of the rosary. Month of Mary. So I got a point of clarification here. The first Friday devotion is nine consecutive Fridays. Saturdays, first Fridays, nine oh, first consecutive Fridays. first Fridays. Yeah, nine consecutive first Fridays. Um, first Saturdays are five. So is this in a person's lifetime or each year? I would say lifetime because yeah, I don't lifetime. think they said you have to renew it every year. But why not just have a practice? A rolling, oh, I'm done with those nine. I'm starting another nine. And COVID threw a glitch into that when they it shut did. down the parishes. So what's the outcome, though? I mean, what, you know, so we do this, we got nine, we got five Saturdays. What, mm -hmm. What's the consolation of knowing the mother of God has promised to be with us? Grace. Yeah, there's more yeah. promises. Isn't there 15 promises? There are. What, associated with the rosary. With the rosary. Yes. And the first one of those uh, promises is that Our Lady will give us signal graces. Um, and so everyone goes, what's a signal grace? Right. So when you think about a signal, what is a signal? So if you're driving down the road, there's a, a traffic light, a traffic signal, right? It tells you what to do. Stop, go, or yellow, go real fast. Right? Isn't that what yellow means? <laughs> when I'm following you, that's yeah, what it means. That's how I drive. So a signal grace is if you have a, a, a decision to make or you have to choose something, Mary promises you will be given the grace to be given a signal to know what to do, to know what to say, to know which way to turn or which way to go. That's incredible if you think about just that first promise of, uh, of Our Lady for those who pray the rosary every day. You know, that's pretty amazing because what a lot of people don't realize either is she is the mediatrix of all graces. Now, granted, that has not been prescribed as doctrine, but it is so close. So what do you mean by mediatrix? That, you know, a lot of people, they know that grace comes from God, correct? Mm -hmm. But Mary, every grace that comes from God goes through Mary. So that makes her the mediatrix of all graces. Mm -hmm. And I don't know all the details, but I think it has a lot to do with when she was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit and became pregnant with Jesus. Mm -hmm. well, I she think was part of that, full of grace. Part of that... Uh, 
doctrine goes like this, yes. So grace entered the world. What is grace entering the world but Christ himself? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're just, bearing, just bearing down on uh, New Year's Eve and, and the new year, which begins with the first Sunday in Advent and the incarnation of, of uh, Christ. So grace enters the world through the Virgin. Can you imagine if the Virgin's fiat was, ah, not today here, you know, the, the, the whole world, the whole universe holds the breath at the moment of Gabriel's annunciation mm-hmm. uh, to, to come back here. So, yeah, so grace comes through Christ, but Christ comes through Mary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Mary is the mother of the church, and the constant teaching of the Catholic Church is all grace comes from the Catholic Church. So there's connect the dots. Mm-hmm. The Holy Ghost, Mary at the Annunciation, Christ entering her womb. Christ is born into the world. Mm-hmm. She's the mother of the church. Christ comes to establish the church. And he's fully God and fully human. So, I mean, you can see the Trinitarian circle just mm-hmm. totally involved. Well, and in she is the daughter of the Father, the mm-hmm. mother of the Son, the mm-hmm. spouse of the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. She is. So she there is. it is. I've also heard her compared, like, in, in the body to the neck. Like, God is the head and Mary's the neck. Mm-hmm. So every command that comes from the brain to the body goes through the neck. And that was always kind of helped me understand her role in things like she stands between us and god she's not god Mm -hmm. or a goddess but she is is standing there interceding for us so while we're talking about her what are the four marian dogmas are there four oh you put me on the spot here let's see well the mediatrix of grace is not one yet but the immaculate conception that was the first one spoke uh spoken ex cathedra so, you know, some of these things were always believed, but then a right. couple of them have been pronounced ex cathedra, which means well, all, they, from all the four chair. Of, all four of them, a dogma by definition is defined. Okay. Not, so you've got discipline, doctrine, dogma. Dogma is the highest definition of guns, and there are four Marian dogmas. Make the conception yes. would be the first and the earliest. I'm thinking, oh, no, wait, wait, Theotokos, Mother of God. Is that one of the first? Yes, early? Mother of God. That might mm-hmm. be the first I, earliest that, one. That was early church. And then uh, Perpetual Virginity. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so Mother of and God. And then she was the assumed into heaven and body oh, and soul. It took them a while, but they got them. Yeah. I mean, I don't talk about this every day. Right? Immaculately con- uh, conceived. 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 Mm-hmm. Mother, Mother of God, of God. Mm-hmm. perpetual virginity, and assumed body and soul and into her heaven. assumption into heaven. The mm-hmm. four dogmas, dogmas of of Mary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're beautiful dogmas too. Beautiful, and October is such a beautiful month. Like we mentioned, the month of the Rosary, Our Lady the Rosary. Um, Betty Frommelt mentioned this to me this morning. The Pilgrim Virgin has been going around Dubuque for fifty years. That's amazing. 50 years. And so we need to discuss what that Pilgrim Virgin um, traveling statue of Our Lady of Fatima is because so many people see the statue and what the statue is, but they have no idea 
the story behind it, how it got started in Dubuque, or whether they should go to someone's home to pray it. Mm. So can you enlighten us on that? Very good. Well, uh, Jerry Trimble was the guy that got it started. Um, but that's here in Dubuque, right? Here in Dubuque. Because yes. there's other places throughout the world that do the same thing, correct? Absolutely. It was started because not everyone could make a trip to Fatima right? to go see Our Lady of Fatima. So they decided, okay, we'll bring Our Lady of Fatima to people. So that was kind of the idea behind it. Um, so Jerry Trimble, he got it started in Dubuque 50 years ago with the blessing of Archbishop Byrne. And the reason Betty Frummel knows it's been 50 years is because she was the first one to host it 50 years ago. That's awesome. Isn't that wonderful? And when Archbishop Byrne was Archbishop, he used to go to the host home once a week. Wow. Wow. He always made a point to go to the person's home who was hosting the the Pilgrim Virgin. So uh, the Pilgrim Virgin comes to a, a, a family's home on a Saturday and then that family prays the rosary together every day that week. And then she leaves the next Saturday. So you can host her for a week. And friends and neighbors and stop friends by. And friends and you let people know that you've got the statue and you're praying the devotions at 7 p.m. or whatever time it is. There's no expectation of refreshments or drinks. It's just to come and pray, pray yeah. the rosary. They just come and pray the rosary and then when it's done they go home. Right. That's right. It's a beautiful devotion. If you have not had the Pilgrim Virgin at your house, I would highly recommend it. Look at your calendar and find a significant date. Maybe your wedding anniversary, maybe uh, some other significant date, and see if you can schedule the Pilgrim Virgin to come to your home. One thing that I'd like to encourage people to consider maybe for the month of October is to pick up a good book about our Blessed Mother and do a little study on her and a little reading because there's quite a few things that are really very amazing about our Blessed Mother that we don't know, but actually as part of church teaching, especially with our early church fathers. Um, And St. Bernard, I believe, is one of those who would be able to offer some great insight if you'd pick up some of his books. And then ask a priest or or, um, one of the uh, Marian orders Call them up and say, hey, October is the month of Mary. I'd like to do a little mm-hmm. study. What book would you recommend? Now, I would highly recommend St. Louis de Montfort. Oh, oh yeah, and a consecration. Goodness, and the consecration. Who's consecrated and who isn't? Should mm-hmm. I be consecrated? Mm-hmm. Can I be consecrated more than once? Can mm-hmm. I consecrate my family members? Answer we should probably else. plug the uh, good priest coming to Dubuque from the Marians of the Immaculate Conception in Stockbridge which is the home of the uh, uh, Divine Mercy. Mm-hmm. Um, I shouldn't say that's the only one, but they are famous for this, which is the Sunday, the Divine Mercy Sunday after Easter, Easter the first mm-hmm. Sunday of, of uh, Easter. Father Chris Alar coming to Nativity Parish here in Dubuque on Alta Vista Wednesday, November 10th in the evening. I'm guessing about 6 o'clock, Wednesday, November 10th, Nativity Parish in Dubuque. We just got word from Father Yupa, Father Chris Alar. Now, if you haven't seen this guy, you probably have heard him and didn't realize that he's got a, a library on on YouTube, uh, the Marians, and, and so it's Father Chris Alar and the the religious order is MIC, Marians of the Immaculate Conception here, so... I believe he's speaking about something heading in. That'll be just uh, days ahead of Advent. 
Marion and uh, what she does with Advent. So, no, that's that's great. And plug into that. That is a great plug in. That's a great thing to kind of prep and prepare for something to do for Advent as well. And um, another person that comes to mind when you're talking about Father Chris is also Father Don Calloway, who wrote a book mm-hmm. on Mary. And, and these are just some great resources and, and they're easy reads. Guys are on fire, aren't they? Yes. They are on fire. And thank goodness they are. And trying to spread that fire. So some good things out there. Speaking of fire, are we running out of fuel here? What time is running it? Running out of fuel. We've come to the end of our three segments. Already? Mm. Did ah. I get all my lines in this time? <laughs> this is this is a dozen here. I think this is episode 12, ladies. It is. Well, shall we end in a prayer? You bet. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory be to, to the, the Father, Father, and to, to the, the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, is now and, ever and ever shall be. be. World without end. Amen. This is the chatter. Colleen Pasnick, Janet Wagner. I'm Tom Oglesby. This is FM 98.3 KCRD.